Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I am Anya Crittenton, and this week I am joined by only one of my co-hosts. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. HT is on another fabulous set visit because she's living that fabulous life of hers. She was so close to me last night, I was very upset. Right, she had a layover in LAX. And I was like, well, I have other plans, and also LAX is terrible to get to, especially on like a Saturday night. So, I love you. Next time. That sounds like the uh, the sequel to P.S. I Love You. P.S. Next time. <laughs> okay. Um, so, okay. Serious speaking, time. speaking of love and romance, we are talking about Paul Feig's A Simple Favor, which is kind of rom- it's got It's got sex in it, that's for sure. Um, it does have sex. That is an apt description, yeah. Wilby. Yeah, so, okay, so we will be reviewing A Simple Favor, which came out, I think, a month ago, close to a month ago, in September. Um, it counts as a September movie review. It, um, it was directed by Paul Feig. It was written by Jessica Scharzer, and it's based on the book by Darcy Bell. Um, I guess the logline is, a woman seeks to uncover the truth behind the disappearance of her best friend. And now uh, the woman in question is... Anna Kendrick, and she's uh, uncovering the truth behind the disappearance of her best friend, Blake Lively. Um, and Blake Lively is married to Henry Golding, who we just talked about in Crazy Rich Asians. We um, did. So he's kind of got like a, a nice two-month, one-two one, punch thing going on. Um, I think mm-hmm. we last saw Blake Lively in The Shallows. Uh, which you know I what? Not, she's I really good see. in that movie. I did not see that movie. Um, but I've heard good things. And Anna Kendrick's last movie was, I don't know. Was it Pitch Perfect 3? Pitch Perfect 3? It wasn't The Accountant. I think that came out before Pitch Perfect 3. I don't know. Yeah. I think her last movie was Pitch Perfect 3. So, um, and Paul Feig, who has done a uh, very good spy, he did uh, he did Spy, I think he directed the Ghostbusters reboot. He did. Um, so he's like, and did he direct Bridesmaids? Actually, Paul, don't know. Um, we're gonna we're gonna Google this. We're gonna look this up because I feel like I should know this. Paul Feig seems to be the kind of guy who would direct like that. Direct by Paul um, Feig. Yep. I yep. feel like that was like the first movie that like launched Paul Feig into like. Well, it was. It was actually his at least his first movie because before that he was directing TV shows. He directed a, a lot of episodes of The Office, Nurse Jackie. Uh, uh, he directed the Pawnee Zoo episode of Parks and Rec. Oh my goodness! Anyone who directs Parks and Rec is welcome. yeah. He's done a Mad Men episode, a Thirty Rock episode, Arrested Development. So um, yeah, so he was like it was similar to like Russo Brothers and <clears throat> guys like that who start in TV and then make their way into movies and then suddenly they become some of the biggest directors in Hollywood. Exactly, and so yeah, he he directed Bridesmaids, he directed The Heat. He directed Spy, Ghostbusters. So he's done a lot of work with Melissa McCarthy. Yes. Um, and I think the two of them are great as a director-actor combo. Um, I think they get each other very well. I feel like... What do you think your favorite Paul Feig movie is? Oh, I'd say Bridesmaids. I think I had the most fun watching that movie out of all the movies I've seen him direct. Because I think... It may have been because I saw it with, like, a bunch of college students who were just coming back from school, and, like, that was one of the movies they were showing. But I definitely think that that was, like, a really great comedy that I was... I wasn't expecting it to be that great, because I just didn't hear a lot of good things about it. Interesting. And then I I went in, and I was like, oh, this thing is amazing. So, yeah. Interesting. I think mine is probably uh, Spy. Yeah. I really love Spy. Spy hit, like, a lot of, like, genre tropes for me and, like, a lot of comedy buttons, and I just thought Spy was one of the most hysterical movies I've ever watched. And I would agree it's very funny, and Jason Statham is uh, uproariously funny and, like, in an unexpected twist of a turn role in which he's funny and not, like, the transporter. Literally paying, like, uh, playing a parody of himself. Right, right. And then he, yeah, so... Paul Feig has a way of, like, I think almost getting, the, like, the best performances out of their 
out of these characters. Oh, we'll talk actors. about that in that move in this in this review. So why don't we talk about a We will talk character. about that. Um, um it 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 stars Yeah, so we talked about who it stars. Um I haven't really seen any of Blake Lively's movies. Um I never watched Gossip Girl. This might actually be the first Blake Lively thing I've ever watched. Oh. Okay, Oops. so what is your what was your impression give me your overall impression of the film. Yeah. Um, it was fine. I, th- I mean, I don't know if that's diminutive to say it was fine. Like, I think the last act got really buck wild, and we can talk about that. And in, in like, you know, in terms of twists and turns, but I thought up till that point, up until it started, up until the 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 plot really started to move, it was sort of like almost wrote in a way like it was almost like like i've not i've seen this before but it almost felt like i've seen this before in terms of if it wasn't showing it it wasn't like i like the opening credit sequence a lot i yes. thought it was really fun but then i don't think the movie lived up to that until maybe the end and i think that it was sort of i don't want to say boring but a little boring I was just sort of wondering where everything was going because it seemed like, for those of you who may not know, this is kind of a quote-unquote, like, parody of Gone Girl, or at least, like, takes those tropes and does something with it differently. It's almost like a satire. It's very, it's heightened, um, like, and Gone Girl's a very heightened movie, too, but I feel like Gone Girl wasn't playing it for laughs, per se, but... Uh, this definitely was at, at moments, but I also think there was this weird, there's this weird disconnect between the trailer calling it a thriller, the dark side of Paul Feig, the review saying, oh, it's a lot funnier than the marketing would give you. And then I didn't think it was very funny. Yeah. So I'm going to, I think I fall in kind of the middle ground as you do with some, with some caveats. Okay. So here's my thing about this film, and hopefully this makes sense. I loved the movie that Blake Lively was in. Okay. I only liked the movie that Anna Kendrick was in. I think I'm getting what you're, I'm picking up what you're putting down, but what are you putting down? I just, I feel, to me, as great as their chemistry was, it just felt like they were kind of incongruous in the movies they were playing, the movie that they were acting in and what they thought, like, kind of the larger picture was. Um, and I much preferred Blake Lively's role and the kind of tone that she was giving the film. Um, for it me... Sort of, it was sort of more... more. It was more... Uh, lively. Uh, um, it, was, it was a little bit more uh, stylish. A li- like, the, all that stuff that was happening with her character was a lot more interesting than, what, than, than I yeah. think what was going on with Anna Kendrick's character. Agreed. And we can talk about this when we get to performances, because I feel like character work is something that this movie struggled with. Um, I, For me, I really liked the first two-thirds of the film. Okay. And then I did not like the last act at all. Gotcha. Um, so I am mixed on this movie, as you are, I believe. Um, when we talk about it, I will say the one thing I'm not mixed on is... Blake Lively and her wardrobe. I love Blake Lively. I think she's great in Gossip Girl. I thought she was great in The Shallows. I think she is a much better actress than people give her credit for. I think people wrote her off because she starred in, like, a teen soap opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she's actually been good since the beginning. And I quite like Blake Lively. And so I'm glad that people are really noticing her and, like, going gung-ho for her in this film. Because she really gives it her all. And I think she's proving that, like, she's been a talented actress this whole time, and yeah. you're finally noticing. I think that um, a lot of the re- reviews that I've seen have been calling out Blake Lively as, like, the best part of the movie, and then Anna Kendrick is just sort of there, and Henry Golding is just, like, could be part of the setting. Um, Preach. Uh, and I think the dialogue was fun. Like, they're, like, it definitely seemed a lot more it didn't, it, you know, like, not improvised, but a little, it, it sounded like it was improvised, like, um, like, the way that they talked to each other sounded like 
you know, there's a lot of like, oh, uh, didn't mean to do that. Oh, uh. um, and I, and like a lot of, um, it's it's very naturalistic performances. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for everyone listening, as always, our review will contain spoilers. We're gonna break it down into plot, character, and theme. Um, so since this is like a mystery thriller, and plots are always at the forefront of those, why don't we tackle like the plot? and tone of the film first. Sure. So, as you said, Willoughby, the movie is about what's-her-face, Anna Kendrick's character. Stephanie, I believe? Stephanie. I, she said the word mommy a lot, So, but it wasn't mommy, it was Stephanie. Stephanie. Mom, because um, she said I'm sorry a lot in the film. It's about Stephanie, and she meets Emily, Blake Lively's character, and they become... Fast friends. Yeah. But there's this sort of Anna underlying... Thinks, I think Anna Kendrick's character thinks that they're best friends and Blake Lively character does not. See, I think there is some genuine feelings on Emily's part. Um, but I think that there's just a lot more going on in Emily's life that, like, regardless of her genuine feelings for Stephanie, there are bigger things happening in her life. True. Bigger damages and bigger problems um and so suddenly emily asks stephanie to pick up her son from school their sons go to school together a simple favor she asks or a simple favor just pick up nikki from school next thing you know emily is missing and it's like three days later so then it becomes stephanie takes it upon herself to basically unravel the mystery of emily and find her and figure out why she went missing and this whole truth of emily's excuse me of Emily's backstory. So what did you think of the plot? I thought it was not as well paced as I thought it would be. Like, I I guess, I mean, have you seen Gone Girl? Can we compare it to Gone Girl? I think yeah, it's a I've nice seen, comparison. I've seen Gone Girl, and I, yeah, I, it's, the, it's the satirical parody French chic version of Gone Girl. Right, but I think when in terms in terms of, like, pacing and plot i think gone girl gets it right i yeah. think that you get the you get the mystery going pretty 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 close to the beginning um you learn more about uh i forget her character's name um uh oh, yeah amy you learn amy, more about amy makes a mess. Amy, yeah you learn more about amy like like farther down the plot like you get to actually like interact with her as a character more um, whereas in the beginning, you, it's like the first act, you're with Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick getting to know each other. Um, and then I, I just, uh, it didn't, it felt like I, I guess the way I would judge it would be like, I was trying to look, I didn't want to look at my phone to check the time, but I had the thought to do that, Yeah, mm-hmm. which is sort of a signal to me that I'm not really interacting with the movie at a hundred percent which is like i think my own my own uh, like not fault but just like my my own like what i bring to the movie i was not a hundred percent in on it um because i just wasn't sure where was it wasn't going where i wanted it to go as fast as i wanted it to go and i don't know if that's the fault of the filmmaker or a fault with my like what i was expecting Mm. um and then in the third act where it got a lot buck wild like i was more uh receptive to that i liked the twist and turns in terms of it got ridiculous and i think that the movie went from about 50 to 60 percent ridiculous and then it went to 70 percent and then it went to 110 percent and i kind of wanted it to be at 110 percent a little bit closer to halfway through the movie because i feel like it was sort of like a mystery thriller without any thrilling aspects to it like it was like oh okay so she's gone where did she go and it was and and we were with anna kendrick's pov so obviously there was a lot we couldn't just figure out um with uh with where emily went and i get that but i feel like i don't know for as a movie it could have gone it could have got to the uh unraveling of the mystery quicker Mm -hmm. um what do you what do you think so i i'm the exact opposite of you Okay. I liked the beginning and I liked kind of the languidness 
Um, and I, I did not like the ending. Um, but I think for both of us, it comes down to like a commitment and vision. Mm-hmm. So for me, I wanted Paul Feig to commit to the vision that he presented with us in the beginning of the film. You wanted more of a commitment of what he gave us at the end. Yes. But either way, the beginning and the end were kind of like oil and water. I, I would agree. Yeah. So I feel for like, me, I feel like I feel like we're both in agreement that the first two the first two acts are different than the last act. But yes. I think we we're differing of opinion on what we like about each one. Exactly. Exactly. And so for me. I remember, you know, people being like, don't believe what the trailers say. Like, it's actually a lot funnier than you're expecting. And for me, the first two thirds, there were funny moments, but I really liked how coy and cheeky and mysterious it was with all the, with all the French soundtrack, which I loved. That was so actually much. a lot of fun. I, I um, like that. And I liked kind of the unraveling of the mystery, and I really liked the backstory of Emily. Like, mm-hmm. I actually thought the whole story about her and her twin sister and their childhood, I liked that. I thought that was interesting, which is why I say, like, Blake Lively and the character of Emily is, like, the shining part of this film. I and agree. I, me, like her, I, I like her backstory. Yeah. And for me, at the end, it just goes so ridiculous. It's, when I was watching it, it felt like Paul Feig was trying to remind me that, like, oh, no, don't worry. Even though this film is, like, dark, I'm still a comedy director, Right. Like, don't okay. forget, don't worry, I'm going to make you laugh more. And so, like, at the very end, Emily's out in the street, and she's about to shoot Anna Kendrick. And, like yeah. And then Andrew Rannells drives up in his Prius and hits her. I hated that moment. I thought it was very ridiculous. I don't, I would not say I liked it. I just thought that it took the, it went to the extreme part of the movie that I thought the movie was going to get to, but it, I, like, I, like you said, like, when I saw it, I was like, that was a little much. But it was like, it was also what I was expecting from the movie, which is kind of weird it's, to it's, say. That, it would have been okay had the mo- the rest of the movie fit in tone with that. Yeah. But, like, tonally, most of the movie did not provide for that. Like, I was like, am I suddenly watching Mean Girls? <laughs> like, did and George just get hit by a bus? Yeah, there's, that's a little, it was a little mu- bit like that, yeah. And that for me, was like, kind of just, like, that was, like, the shining example of all the other problems I had with the end. Like, that was, like, the culmination of all the problems I started to have, where things started to get, like, overly complicated and buckwild, and it didn't fit with the rest of the movie, and I wanted the movie that Paul Feig started making in the beginning. I get you, I and understand that. two different movies, I feel like. yeah. It it's very tonally inconsistent with how like once I I feel like once Anna Kendrick finds out spoiler alert Emily had a twin it kind of went from it went from zero to six it went from forty five to eighty instead of mm-hmm. zero to sixty like it was already going pretty fast but it got a lot a lot more intense and uh, I think that there was just a lot of yeah, I would say disconnect between, like, the tones of the movie. And I feel like, you know, there's a lot of, like, backstabbing and people pretending to be on one side of the of the, of the the equation and being on the other side. And the the word four million was said a lot because that's how much the insurance yeah. was going to be. Excuse me. Um, and it just seemed like there was just a lot happening. And mm-hmm. by the end of it... Uh, I would say, okay, so what I didn't like was that they did, like, a where are they now text on screen at the mm-hmm. right? Because this is a fictional work, and, like, that works for, like, American graffiti and movies like that, but I would not say it worked for what is clearly a fictional story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not great. For, and I thought that kind of soured the movie a little bit more than, like, Andrew Rannells uh, hitting Blake Lively with a Prius. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, was probably, it got to be the most ridiculous part of the movie, I think. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you, you could tell that that they were leading up to something ridiculous like that happening, but I feel like it was just, it was just a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it didn't have to be as violent or maybe like it could have been Andrew Reynolds was there, but he like, I don't know, did the thing where he like spins around in the car and stops her from running, but I don't know. It didn't have to be a car crash. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, like and so like the mommy blogger stuff was really like it w- a good thread of like connecting the movie together, but I don't think it did a great job because at some point like would a mommy which would Anna Kendrick still be would her character still be like vlogging like is that a, is this supposed to be satirical in that part too? I don't know the mommy blogger stuff. Uh, like I, well, this is like, this is why for me, I mean, if we can kind of start bleeding into characters here, why Stephanie didn't work is because Stephanie felt like such a one dimensional character. Even the backstory they tried to give with like her half brother didn't, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And it didn't like add anything. It was just sort of, like, a fucked up thing to learn about her. Yeah, but it didn't, like, it, it didn't change anything about her character. It didn't change our perspective of her. It, it just it added nothing, whereas, like, Emily's backstory absolutely does. Mm-hmm. And... Especially adding in Linda Cardinelli in a role I was not expecting. I did not realize she was even going to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's get into these characters a bit, because... I don't love Anna Kendrick in this movie. I get you. And I really like Anna Kendrick. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's necessarily her fault in the movie, or if it's that writers and directors seem to keep giving her the same exact thing. Yeah, she, I like a little typecast in terms of characterization. Yeah, it's like we know she can do the snarky and the sarcasm and like the... The like quirky, ner- like, like the like the nervous anxiety, quirky. Yeah, like the very anxiety-ridden, like snarky sort of character. We know she can do that dialogue really well. Yeah, like joking. Not a secret. Like joking during a tense conver- t- tense conversation is like one of her fortes, I would say, in like in movies. Like she's really good at like breaking the tension, trying or like trying. Like her character attempts to break the tension with a joke. I feel like she could, yeah. she's done that a lot in movies. Um, and I would say it wasn't bad. I would, like, I, in my opinion, like, it wasn't bad. It was it was just, like you said, like, another version of that character. Yes, I feel like I, feel like I never get to see anything new from Anna Kendrick in movies. Um, and again, I don't, this is not necessarily her fault because it's, like, the material she's given. People are like, oh, I wrote this character, and it's snarky, and this, blah, blah, and it's perfect for Anna Kendrick. And we don't seem to be going outside of that box. Which is kind of interesting, considering that she wrote, like, one of her breakout roles was Up in the Air, in which she is decidedly, decisively not snarky and sarcastic. Like, she's mm-hmm. very, her character is very uptight and very, like, down to business. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I just want to see something a little more, just something different. Sure. I want something to give Anna Kendrick different material. I like. Maybe I like. The, have you seen Have you seen the movie she did with? Um, uh, the movie was Drinking Buddies, and then another one was uh, Happy Christmas. They were like independent independent have, movies. I've not. So they were. That was. Th- those are movies in which it's all all improvised and her characters in that, that, that are like, scene mumblecore yeah it's very mumble it's very much a, a part of the mumblecore movement okay warning i don't love mumblecore right okay um so i would say she she gives very like a very good nat- like natural performances in that in those movies mm-hmm. um and they are like she's re- like when it comes to like the serious part of those movies she's really good at it um so, and so like i would say like if you're looking for something a little bit different, I would say those movies, but again, they're not mainstream. They went directly to video on demand the day they were released in theaters, like in two theaters across America. So like they weren't the mainstream movies that people see her in. Yeah. Yeah. Like arguably, I think probably my favorite, my favorite Anna Kendrick performance is probably the last five years, but I don't think that's very fair because the last, the characters in the last five years were already written right. and I already knew them from the musical. And I love that musical very dearly and so like i love her in that movie but i don't know if that's because i already loved the material 
and it wasn't like written with her in mind or written as this like snarky uptight kind of character sort of thing um i would say pitch perfect is her best role or at least the first movie yeah it just so feels so similar to me yeah it's not it's it's in her wheelhouse which is which which could be a detriment to viewers if they're looking for something new yeah it's like you know do what you're good at but eventually i'd like to stop seeing the same character over and over again yeah I'd, I'd say one of the differences with this character is that she's a mom, which she usually doesn't play. Yeah. But I feel like making her a mommy vlogger get it, it gets her those, like, it, those, like, quirks and anxiety things and, like, little speeches and the way she talks and, like, it... Yeah. yeah. So, what do you think about uh, that tall drink of water, Henry Golding? He's a tall drink of water. And that's about it. And that's about it in this film. And that's okay. I that's feel okay. like he, he plays his part. He plays the role of, like, a grieving husband who uh, uh, has sex with his wife's best friend. Quite quickly. Yeah. A little too quickly? A little too quickly? Grief is a... Uh, grief it's a hell of a drug. It is. It's like, I don't... Like, it, yeah... I, like, didn't trust him at all like, from the moment like, he came in in the movie. Yeah, he. I mean, there's there was a little bit of, like, like two-facedness that was happening with him, yeah. I feel like. Like, he, he was able to, like, code-switch between Emily and Stephanie really easily. Yes. Does that make any sense? It does, absolutely. Yeah. And it was interesting, like, it was interesting the way he tried so much to play the victim, um, with Emily. And, like, yes, Emily is the most fucked up in the film, and she does some terrible things, but, like, let's not think that he is some perfect angel because he's not. Yeah. And the way he sort of manipulates Stephanie is also pretty bad. So, yeah. nope. Yeah. Um, but Henry Golding is, like, you know, get... he, oh, he does his job. And, I feel like he's kind of newer to the scene, so I'm I'm just excited to see more from him because I I feel like both in this and Crazy Rich Asians, it's um he feels he he very much kind of plays sort of a straight man, um, and he's good at it and he's good to look at and he's clearly got talent and so I'm excited to just see now that he's becoming bigger like what other roles come his way. Yeah, like I definitely think with Crazy Rich Asians and maybe this movie like people are seeing him and be like oh let's cast him in this movie and that movie like yeah um he's british i don't know he has that going for him he does that is um in my opinion that is a definite going for him ah. Ah. i don't care what people say about the whole like british playing american blah 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 british are taking he, our jobs and i'm like but he, uh, wasn't yeah. even playing, he wasn't even playing american he was still using his accent which is like yes this is what I want. I want more of the Brits. Sure. Um, so those are like the three real characters in this movie. Yeah, we um, talked about. Who? Like we've like, thoroughly discussed Blake Lively. Okay, let's get into Blake Lively and her character and all, all that sh- all that shenanigans. You we were like that tall drink of water, Henry Golding, and I was like Blake Lively. Yeah. <laughs> She's um, also very tall. Tell you just from a completely shallow point of view, um, <laughs> movie shallow. Like, the shallows. Uh, that's the movie she was in. Also very good. Um, this movie gave me like heart palpitations every time she was on screen. She was just so beautiful, so well dressed, and very seductive. And let me tell you, it works. <laughs> Not only on Stephanie, but it works on the audience. Mm. All those outfits, this movie better get on nominated for like an Oscar for costumes because for like Blake Lively suits alone. Those are some pretty wild suits. Because they're so good. But like, you know how we talk about how like Stephanie's backstory and stuff and like as a mom and as a vlogger, even these things that are supposed to like help define her character, they don't really feel like they define anything. Yeah, like her, her like 
indiscretion with her half-brother and also the death of her father and her half-brother inform her character has trauma, but I feel like her character... it It's this weird halfway between she's fine, but also she's not. But I feel like like she's fine in a way that once she starts talking about it, it's clear she doesn't like to talk about her past, and so she breaks down. And so, but but if you didn't know that past, you would never suspect that she'd have anything traumatic going on. If that makes sense. Yeah, but I I, I guess and, and like it 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 to me it just means that like oh I don't know if there's if if there's a disconnect between the past and her, but like it def- definitely feels like you could like until she starts talking about like her indiscretions with her half brother, like you'd never assume that or like or anything like that or like because but and and i feel like with blake lively's character right away there's something mysterious about her there's something dark about her and i feel like yeah yeah well for me it's not so much like that you would know that because like i feel like trauma affects people differently and you don't necessarily have to show signs people handle it differently for me it's that I feel like once you learn about a character, once, like, in a story, once you start peeling back the layers of a character, it's supposed to make you know the character better and see them in different lights and, like, flesh them out. And I feel like none of those things for for Stephanie fleshed her out for me. Like, knowing her relationship with her half-brother didn't add anything for me. Like, it didn't make me see, like, oh, like, you know, this is why she's like this, or this is... it, it. It was just there. Yeah. Whereas for me, Emily was, like, instantly captivating. And then the more you learned about her, but the more captivating she became. But she was also captivating even before you learned her backstory. Like, the way she would talk about Nikki, her son. Right. I feel like it was so clear that she cared for him deeply. That she loved her son. Mm Mm-hmm. That she like, genuinely loved him and wanted a good life for him. And then she makes a line, like, she makes says something like, it, his life would be much better off if I, like, blew my brains out. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. That was a fucked up line. But, like, I don't think, for me at least, I did not interpret Emily as being someone who is completely heartless and has no feelings whatsoever. I think Emily actually has a lot of feelings and they run very deeply for Stephanie, for Nikki, for her sister. I don't know about her husband. Yeah, not so much. Mm. She just won that good life insurance. Yeah, she did. (laughs) Um, People do not take this movie as a lesson, by the way. Yeah, don't do a double double indemnity thing. No. It's not going to work out for you. Um... But I don't know, I just, I felt like Emily, like, every time she said something or we learned something about her, like, she just became this more interesting character, and she did get deeper, and I did want to know more about her, and I never felt that way with Stephanie. I get you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's what I was trying to say earlier, was that, like, yeah, like, it's, her trauma, her backstory's there, and then she just kind of is the same character after learning yeah. it. Yeah, whereas Emily... Um, becomes like a fully fleshed out character yeah which i um, think is okay for for blake lively's character to be the more developed mm-hmm. character because that's the point is that we're unraveling a mystery behind her but i but like you said like it, we could we could have had a more developed anna kendrick character or don't try and like one or the other mm-hmm. and that's the problem i guess the problem with this whole movie is one or the other like Either you're make, you're committing to that comedy aesthetic that you have at the end, or you're committing to the tone at the beginning. Or do a weird blend where it's kind of it's super dark and it gets more more of like a black comedy. Exactly, like you could have gone the comedic route, like a bigger comedy, and still kept it like dark and mysterious. It just it felt like. Either he didn't know what he wanted to do, and so he tried to do a bit of both, but then he didn't try and blend them. Yeah. Do you think that's a fault with the editing in the or the with the script? I think it's a fault more with the script. I agree. And that they just kept going with it, 
and maybe they tried to solve it in the edit, but I feel like there's a point of no return in which it just goes, like, ham-fisted. I agree. Um, excuse me. Um, so speaking of editing and stuff, I will say one of the things I love about the movie is just how it looked and sounded. Yeah. Like, I mentioned the soundtrack. Um, maybe it's because I'm a teeny bit of a Francophile, and I speak French, but hearing all the French songs was great. But they also just fit it so well, the aesthetic of, like, the cheeky sort of mysterious, playful tone that he set up at the beginning. Every time one of those songs came on, it just felt so right. Yeah, like, those those songs were really great, and I want to see which songs they are so I can listen to them again, because they were really fun. And like I said earlier, like, the 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 whole the rest of the movie did not live up to the title sequence. I feel like, yeah, it I think it could have been more in tone with like what that was, and that could just be a problem with the fact that the title sequence was probably designed by, you know, like a a person that was hired by Paul Feig, and then Paul Feig was like, great, that's amazing, mm-hmm. um, let's put it at the beginning of this movie, and it didn't really fit with the tone of the, with the rest of the movie, yeah, um, which is a problem because like you know, title sequences are supposed to inform you of what the movie is about. And I was, cause I was not expecting a title sequence because usually, you know, modern movies really don't have a lot. Yeah, no, um, they don't. Either they have a, they have a title card or you don't see the title to the very end of the movie. Um, and so like the fact that we got like a full, like two, two and a half minute sequence of like, these are the characters in the movie. These are the actors. These are the, the crew. This is like the tone that we're setting up. And then it was sort of, like you said, languid and like, like dark and and slow and moving and, and but I was like oh, okay, which is I mean I guess I was more I was I was get, expecting more more less act of Gone Girl, um and less of like what we what we got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, because because like pe- like what people were saying where it was like. Oh, it's funnier than you were expecting. I was expecting, oh, okay, so it's more of a parody than an actual thriller. But no, it's sort of a weird hybrid. Yeah, but it's a hybrid that never fully works. Yes. I'm like, right. so we'll say, um, HT told us before we saw it that, like, you know, don't go into it, ex- like, believing what you see in the trailers. It's, it's a comedy, first and foremost. Except for me, most of the film actually does match the trailers. In yeah, my that's, I'd agree. I'd agree. And it doesn't get to be a comedy in the Paul Feig sense until the end. And so I actually didn't find it to be a comedy first and foremost. Me neither. And I I was fine with that. I liked that the humor in the first two thirds was more subtle and woven into the characters and the kind of off-putting feeling they immediately put in the film. And then... I feel like Blake Lively had the most laugh lines mm-hmm. and a lot of them were like oh no i'm uncomfortable because i was laughing at this yes exactly which i really liked yeah no i i'd agree with you like that part was really like her everything like lively is doing is great the rest of the movie doesn't compare exactly literally i mean everyone just kind of dulls in comparison to like lively in this film gotta say it's just it's true um but paul fee definitely has a good eye for making movies and, like, sticking to at least an aesthetic. This movie is definitely very fun to look at and listen to. I'd agree. Yeah. Um, so our final segment, uh, if you have anything to add about themes, I'm not sure this is a very theme-heavy movie. I don't think it is. I don't, it's sort of all plot and character, which is fine. It's, you can sort of, like, I guess extrapolate some themes out of Emily's character and, like, uh, when situations push you to the brink, like, people will do desperate, reckless things. Right, like killing your twin. Killing your twin sister. Or your, yeah, your triplet? Yeah. Yeah, at that point, twin, but an original yeah. triplet. But she does have that whole thing where she's like, I'm not a twin, I'm a triplet. And it's like, what? Plot twist! I actually love that line where she's like, our mother said we killed her in the womb. And I was like, oh my god! Like, that sort of, that line was definitely something I was, like, expecting for more of the movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so I guess you could sort of extrapolate, but, like, again, this movie isn't really about themes. It's not yeah. trying to, like, have some sort of commentary. Not really. Which is fine, because not every movie needs to. Not every movie needs to. Usually with a satire, there is a commentary, but I don't know. It's fine. Um, I I don't really have anything else much to say about the movie. Do we want to give a rating? Yeah, I think we want to score this film uh, out of five stars. Out of five. So, Willoughby, what do you give a simple favor out of five stars? I'd say three out of five. Okay. I think... I'll agree with you. I think I think Blake Lively is going to bump it up from like a two or something for me. I'll say a three out of five as well. Cool. Um, with a million out of five for Blake Lively's clothes. <laughs> yes. Um, so the Millennial Falcon gives a simple favor three out of five stars. Yes. Yes, we do. All right. And now we are going to move on to our last segment of the episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Willoughby. Yes. What do you really like this week? Um, Maniac on Netflix. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, I watched the whole series uh, last week, last week uh, starting with last Sunday and ending it yesterday. Um, I really thought it was really well done. Um, in terms of, I'm like, only halfway through, so. Okay, so I won't, I won't spoil anything. Yeah. I don't want to spoil anything for our listeners. Um, but I, I like the aesthetic of it where it's like modern times, but if like the digital revolution never took place, it's like a disto- it's like an alternate universe 1980s. Yeah, but it does take place in the two, in the 2010s. Like they talk Wait, about it. Wait, it does? Yeah, there's a point where, uh, okay, a little spoiler, uh, Justin Thoreau's character was born in 1977. Oh, see, I thought it, this was, like, literally, like, an alternate universe, 1980s America. That's, that's what I thought, too, but it's actually, like, an alternate universe in which the 80s aesthetic never left. Whoa! Yeah, I mean, and they never, like, revealed that. That's never something that's revealed. It's sort of, only sort of something that you can kind of, like, piece together. Yeah. Which, I because, I, like, I was, I was watching the first episode, and I was like, a lot of 80s technology, but then the cars were pretty modern, and I was like, what's yeah. that? Um, so I was like, oh, it must be like an alternate reality. And so, it, yeah, so it's um, about these two characters, Jonah Hill and Emma Stone, who are um, it's a direct sequel to Superbad. Um, <laughs> just kidding. It's not. It's not. But, but there are, it's very, um, it's about uh, characters with, like, mental illness who are trying to get better and uh they go to this like psychotherapy lab chemistry place where they're they take pills and they have kind of like these uh hallucinogenic dreams and they go on adventures and um you know there's a lot of i would say eternal sunshine of the spotless mind being thrown in with inception thrown in with like like uh 80s nostalgia um, but it's never really a nostalgia. It's just sort of the aesthetic of the whole place. Um, but I would also, but it's directed, all 10 episodes are directed by Kerry Fukunaga. And each episode is so stylish and interesting yes. and pleasant to look at that I could never take my eye away from the screen. Because I was like, ooh, I love every image, every shot. There's so much color. Yeah. There's so oh, much, the like, it reminds me of, like, an independent graphic novel where, like, color is everything. Yeah. Uh, and I really like there's a, Justin Thoreau is a really great character. I think he's he fantastic. Is. How much have you used to your like five episodes in? You'd say four. I'm like at the halfway mark. Okay, so you've like you've met him. You you've mm-hmm. you've, you've seen his introduction. I have seen the, the yes, I've seen that sequence. Yep, yep. So there's there was that. Um, and then uh, oh, I don't remember her name, but she was in Crazy Rich Crazy Rich Asians and La La Land and Ex Machina. But she's like the the doctor, the other yeah. doctor. Um, she's great. Uh, Emma Stone and Jonah Hill are doing their best. I, I feel like they're doing a Jonah Hill a very like subdued performance. Uh, I so far I'm loving Jonah Hill's performance. Yeah, it's very different than anything I think we've ever seen him do. Yeah, and I like it. 
although I do say funny Jonah Hill, I think I prefer, but I do appreciate his, like, serious acting. And Emma Stone is just, like, she's on another level because she's been doing this work for, like, a while um, yeah. in terms of, like, serious movies. Um, or I guess this is a limited series, but it's filmed like a movie because it's got the widescreen and everything. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I, I really like Maniac. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it, too. I want to say, like, also, it's, like, I'm really digging it's, like, emotional core. Because, um, like, the whole point of the pharmaceutical, like, testing is, like, the the idea that, like, they want to basically eliminate human suffering and, like, human pain. And the idea of, like, that as a concept to me is very interesting. And I didn't expect the kind of emotional core of the series to kind of, like, strike me as much as it has so far. Yeah, and I'll be interested to see, to hear your thoughts after you finish, because it... That, that through line, that's that's a really good through line about pain and emo- the emotional core of the show. So yeah, uh, I really like that. Yeah, let me know what you think about it. When I finish. will. All right. Um, I have two, and she's not here, so she can't yell at me. <laughs> uh, so I'm a rule breaker. But my first one's going to be very simple, sweet, and to the point. I recently watched the season finale of Elementary, which is uh, CBS's modern-day take on Sherlock Holmes. Season six finale, um, it's been picked up for season seven. It is some of the best TV I've ever watched. It is so satisfying for fans. And we all need to start praising the best Sherlock Holmes adaptation in modern history. I will make that statement. I was going to say, I really love the Robert Downey Jr. Jude Law movies. I'm glad you agree with me. They're fun. (laughs) Elementary does something very special, and more people need to appreciate it. That's all. None of it real, really, like, last night, last night I saw someone very special, Willoughby. Who did you see? Love of my life, Rachel McAdams. In a movie? No, in the flesh. What? What? So last night... I went to a live reading of a Blacklist script. For those who don't know, the Blacklist is an annual list that's released of unproduced scripts that are, like, acclaimed. You know, people read them, and they like them so much until, like, they put them on the Blacklist. Um, And a few of them eventually get turned into movies. Yeah, yeah, a few of them do. Um, But so far, to make it onto the Blacklist, you have to be unproduced. And so last night, I saw a reading of a Blacklist script called Charming, which is basically a satirical, tongue-in-cheek comedy fantasy movie about, like, Prince Charming. Hey, there it is. And it's very funny and very delightful. Um, and the cast I saw last night, I'm forgetting everyone's name, and I well, totally... You, you sent us, me and HT, a picture of Rachel McAdams, uh, Joel McHale, and Adam Scott sitting next yes. to each other. So, I mean, I know some of them. I'm just trying to get all of them, so I, because I don't want to, like, forget anyone. Um, now, was Rachel McAdams playing Cinderella? She played, um, so they all played multiple characters. Okay. The main character she played um, was actually the princess, a princess named Talia. Okay. Who was basically a Sleeping Beauty character. Gotcha. But she also played Cinderella and Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> So how, how did it feel that Rachel McAdams, one of your favorite actresses, was playing Cinderella, one of your favorite characters of all time? Um, it was very emotional, to say the least. Um, that's the first character she plays in the script, and I, like, had, like, a start in my seat. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I realized, okay, Cinderella's not the main character she's playing, and I was like, okay, calm down. Um, but it's really funny. The whole cast was great. So here's the whole cast. We had Joel McHale as Prince Charming, Rachel McAdams as Princess Talia, Adam Scott as Ferdinand, a the best friend of Prince Charming who is also in love with Talia. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Thomas Middleditch oh. as a couple characters. He played Faithful Henry, Charming's, like, faithful squire, who's afraid of everything, and he also played, like, a wizened old wizard. That sounds about right for Thomas Middlewich. Yeah. Uh, Tysa Farmiga played a couple characters, but her main one was Princess Luna, the daughter of Talia and Charming. 
Um, and then Aldous Hodge, who you might know from Hidden Figures and other programs, he played he played two characters, one of which was a fairy with, for some reason, an Irish accent. Hey, don't discredit the fae. <laughs> and he also played Philippe the Bold, the greatest swordsman to ever live. Was Philippe French? He was not. Oh. <laughs> I know. And then Chris Gear was the narrator of the whole script, who also turns out to be a character in the story. The so narrator is? Yeah. Cool. Um, so it's a fun story. It's If you like fairy tales and fantasy, like it's something that you would really enjoy. I do feel like it's a bit of a niche sort of thing. So I'm not sure how uh, an actual movie of it would go down, but I loved it. The whole cast is hilarious, and Rachel McAdams is a perfect angel. So, my really like is technically just Rachel McAdams, really. <laughs> just be real. It's on, it's on brand. On brand. Um, so that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on a simple favor, Maniac on Netflix, Elementary, or some great scripts you've read, or Rachel McAdams, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. Um, and where can they find you, Anya, on the internet? You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.